0: by problems. Wars, disease, corruption, starvation, and children are the most vulnerable. Imagine how different Africa might look if the next generation was filled with business people, politicians, police, teachers, mothers and fathers who truly follow Jesus with all their heart because someone had introduced them to Jesus when they were young. We can shape the future if we reach the next generation today. There are over 400 million children in Africa. Imagine if every church in every country were to reach out to every child in its community right now. Africa's Children believes now is the time to reach Africa's next generation. That's why the Africa's Children Now initiative was formed to harness the potential of the African church to reach children. It's all about everyone doing something in order to see a huge change through empowering, caring, equipping, and reaching. We want to create an opportunity for every child to experience the love of Christ and choose to follow him. Africa's church is on the rise and growing faster than anywhere in the world, but we need your help to multiply these efforts. We need people who will pray. We need churches that will partner we need people who will come. We can make a difference if we work together, partner with us. We can't wait for tomorrow because tomorrow may be too late. Now is the time to reach Africa's next generation. Visit Africa's africaschildrennow.org for more information on how you can get started.
1: Awesome. Isn't that video amazing? Ah, I love it. I try not to watch it because I always tear. So. <laughs> Um, but as Pastor David said, my name is Alondra Rosario and I'm a missionary associate to Togo, West Africa with the Assemblies of God World Missions. And I'm here today to just share with you guys my passion for missions, Africa, and children. Um, but before I get started, I just want to share with you guys just a little bit about myself. Um, I live in Hazleton. Um, I attend Faith Assembly of God Church in Hazleton and I was actually born in the Dominican Republic. It's a beautiful country. If you've never been there, you should visit. It's awesome. It's definitely the vacation spot. And um, I came to the U.S. when I was 13 and we lived in New York City, me and my family, and then in 2007 we moved to Pennsylvania. So, I say that I like to call myself a city girl, country girl, and I know that that's gonna be debatable that Hazelton is a country place, <laughs> but for me it's the country, okay? <laughs> But um, I would never probably move to the city. It's just too expensive. But I just love the best of both worlds. Just sharing some quick stuff um, so you guys can get to know me better. But the most important part is that last year I accepted God's call, again as a missionary associate to Africa. And um, in order to just share with you guys my passion and my love, I have two items here with me. And I have a building block, okay, which you've seen kids play with before and I have some fresh play-doh. And the message that I want you guys to just grasp today is that Um, You know, fresh Play-Doh is pliable, is bendable. You can do so much with it. And you can do things with a building block too, but believe it or not, the spiritual life of a child is like fresh Play-Doh. It has not hardened yet. So if we want the next generation, even this generation, to love God and choose God, we have to train up children. We have to reach children. And um, I have some numbers that I want to share with you, which I did get them a a little bit messed up in first service, but have them right here. So studies say that um, a child in three who hears the gospel message before the age of 12 will embrace Jesus as Savior. In comparison, only one adult in 20 who hears the gospel message after the age of 19 will do so. So we're talking about one in three, and that's a big difference, okay? Again, when you are at the age of 19 choosing um, Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So there's a big difference. Kids, you know, at a early age, they're choosing, you know, Jesus as their savior, and they're choosing to love him and live um, by him. And studies have also demonstrated that by three years old, a child's concept of God and understanding of right and wrong is already developing. So sometimes, you know, we think like kids may not understand this, and, you know, they don't understand certain biblical concepts, but they do. They truly do. And in Togo specifically, the country where I'm going to be going to, 40% 40% of the population is under the age of 14. So hello, there are tons of kids that need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And I'm just so excited to be part of that calling. Um, and a lot of these children, they don't know the love of Christ. They're orphans. They're street kids. They have unmet needs. But most importantly, they don't know Jesus again. And I'm just, again, excited to just be part of sharing that love with them. And um, while in Togo, I think there's a picture of my mentors up there. Um, yep, there you go. So, I just want to explain to you guys uh, a little bit about missionary associates. So, MAs, they go for a year or two, okay, and I am um, being called right now for a year. And basically, MAs, they work under the leadership of career missionaries. And my career missionaries are right there Robin, um, Phil and Robin Malcolm. They're awesome people, they have a heart for children. Um, And just something that I want to share about Phil is that he was diagnosed with lung cancer stage four a couple of months ago. Um, Yeah, and um, that was very surprising, Um, but he is here in the U.S., and he's getting treatment, and Next week, I'm really excited to know what the Lord is doing because he's actually going to know whether or not the treatment is working. So I'm sharing this with you guys because I would love for you to please pray for the Malcolms. I'm just so excited to just work with them. I have a call to Togo. Um, you know, if the Lord wills something else, I, he's going to send me somewhere else in Africa, in West Africa. But I do believe that the Lord is calling me to work with the Malcolms to just do amazing things in West Africa. So please be in prayer for them. Okay. And um, there are just some pictures of me. Um, you've seen them earlier of me in Kenya. That's really how I got started, by going on a few missions trips and then the Lord just calling me to do more. Um, so you'll see some of those pictures there. But I wanna share with you guys some of the things that I'm gonna be doing in Togo, okay? So these are some limited things, not everything. Um, but one of the things I'm gonna be doing is working with a organization called La Solucion. Um, now La Solucion, by the way, is French. And I'm saying it all fluently because this sounds a lot like Spanish, but I don't know how to speak French. (laughs) So please pray for me. (laughs) I need to learn French. Um, But La Solution is an orphanage that takes street kids, and they provide those unmet needs that we talked about earlier, like shelter, food. But most importantly, they help a child... Um, have a relationship with Jesus Christ, build a relationship through, you know, with Jesus through prayer, um, fellowship, and, and reading the Bible, all those things. And then the coolest part that I love about this ministry is that they reunite the child with their family. Um, because a lot of these kids, they've been separated with their, um, from their families because either mom or dad divorced, um, or just they kicked out the kid out of the, you know, out of the house. And The the new partner doesn't want to raise the child. So just there's a lot of dysfunction and a lot of um, brokenness. And um, I'm just excited to just speak life into these kids as someone who um, was raised in a broken home. And um, I remember just that part of, you know, That that rejection. Um, And although I love my parents and they did the best to raise me, um, you know, I I do understand what it is to just live through that experience. So I'm just excited to just, again, share that love with all these kids. And um, something else that I'm going to be doing is we're going to be building tabernacle churches, basically called Sunday school shelters. And in Togo, a lot of the churches don't have a spot for kids to learn about Jesus, worship Jesus, and, you know, Just be free, and um, sometimes they have to meet under really horrible weather conditions. So we're actually going to be building these awesome tabernacle churches with the Malcolms for a lot of the churches that need them. And then lastly, um, I'm going to be plugging in with a local church, okay, to help with their children's ministry. And, um, you know, as I keep repeating this in my head about helping and helping, um, I'm just excited to just... Honestly, learn to just learn from these Sunday school teachers in Africa to see how we can work together to just build strong and successful children's ministry. So I'm super, super excited about that. And um, so you're probably wondering, hey, Alondra, this sounds super great, but what can I do? So I'm going to give you three options. We all love options, right? Yeah. OK. <laughs> so your three options are prayer. OK, This is literally the most important thing. Like, I need your prayers. Your your prayers is what carries me, um, is is what's going to open the eyes and the ears of these children in Africa, Um, is what's going to heal the Malcolms. So please, please be in prayer for all of us. I would greatly appreciate that. And the second thing is give. If you want to give to this ministry, Pastor David talked a little bit about that. Um, I'm also going to be here after second service. You can talk to me. We can chat. I can get to know you. I would love to just guide you through on how to give. Now, the best part about this is that I just need 50% to just get to Togo. Who's excited about that? I am. So I'm working on my monthly support, and I just need 50 more to go. Um, But I am not going to, you know, like, whichever way you want to give, please do so. But I just need 50 more, and I'm going to go to the field, so I'm excited. Hopefully by the end of the summer. Let's see. (laughs) And then lastly, the fun one is go. If you have a call to missions, I urge you to please take that step. Africa specifically has 23 countries without an AG missionary. So, even if there's a missionary in one of the countries in Africa that's not with the Assemblies of God, they still need more missionaries. Just one or two is not enough. So, we need people to please accept the call. You don't have to go to Africa. I would love if you do. <laughs> But, you know, you can do missions here in your church, locally. You know, Scranton needs you. The whole world needs Jesus. So, um, whatever it is God is calling you to do, please, please take that step forward. Um, And I said this in first service um, just something that I mentioned earlier about, you know, not having the opportunity to grow up knowing Jesus. That's, that's really my heart for these children. Um, I know that there's a difference when children are trained up in knowing the Lord and knowing the word. And um, I just want to say if there's anyone here who did raise up their children knowing the Lord and they've walked away, don't give up because I know there's a difference in children knowing God at an early age and um, just don't give up in that prayer, okay? All right so that is all that i have for you guys today um i am super excited again to just get to togo and i just want to thank all of you again for your time and um and i hope that you have a blessed day today thank you
2: all right let's thank you so much londra thank you so make sure you go see her um after the service this morning and um uh, she has some great material there and of course We will have an offering plate in the back that has her name on it, and so you can give to that as well as to a regular offering plate. And you can always give electronically. You can just uh, list it for Laundra, and we'll make sure that she gets that as well. So uh, thank you for uh, uh, considering uh, helping her as well. So next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, and so uh, it's interesting. We're a Pentecostal church, and so Pentecost Sunday is a big deal for us. Although, like, uh, Pentecost is more than just – it's more than just one – one day out of the year. Uh, And uh, I know a lot of other churches, some of our mainline churches do a big celebration on Pentecost Sunday. I talked with a friend of mine who's an Episcopal priest and she was telling me how they do like a big balloon launch on Pentecost Sunday. They have like, everybody has a red balloon and you let the balloon go up into the sky and it it has some significance, I suppose. And it looks really nice and everything. But uh, so next Sunday, I want you to prep to remember that it's Pentecost Sunday. So I want you to come expecting Pentecost, okay? All right, so, um, and, and I'm actually going to set us up for that today with my message as well. And then this, this message, I think, is going to have three parts to it today, next Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, and the following Sunday. So uh, just so you have an idea what's going on, you should come with an attitude of expectation when you come to church. So, um, you know, when you come, it's not just, you're not just coming just to put your time in, or to punch off your time card that you were there, but actually to receive something from God. God wants to give out to us as well. And isn't it wonderful how you know, we're able to allow the Holy Spirit to sort of draw us? And even today, you know, we, you know, you can almost go home today. Like we've had church already, you know? It shows how irrelevant the pastor can be, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's, it's really the Holy Spirit has come. He's drawn people. People came to the altar. They laid stuff down. We worshiped the Lord. I mean, you know, God is good. And so, um, you know, uh, God always wants to do more in us than we allow him to do or want him to do. So it's interesting, even the prophetic word that was given this morning, sometimes you get to a place where it's, it seems like you are just at your wits' end. Anybody ever been there? Uh, you've done everything you could possibly do. You've given it everything you could give. you got 110%. You've given it the college try. You have, uh, you know, pursued and done and perfected and worked and served and done everything that you know to do. And then you find you still fall short. Has anybody ever been there? You know, and, uh, you know, you you, you uh, just uh, lay everything down. You give everything. You let your body be burned, perhaps. To, you know you know what I'm saying? And you still find that you are not measuring up. Is there anybody out there that has ever felt that way? You know? And, uh, you know, sometimes we look at it and we wonder, can God actually even use me? Can he use me? Am I enough? You know? Why would God use me when there's so many people that are so more qualified than I am or more powerful than I am or have more talents than I have? And then sometimes the enemy comes in in those times, and he reminds you about how little you are and how insignificant you are and how trouble-plagued you are and how incomplete you are and how imperfect your life is. Has the enemy ever done that to any of you, right? And, uh, you know, all we can see sometimes is the trouble that we're in. And, boy, there's no shortage of trouble. It seems like we're swimming in it. It seems like that's all there is around us. And we find ourselves at the end of the day knowing that the enemy is still there. We know that faith without works is dead. We've given, we've done everything we're supposed to do. In 1785, Robert Burns came up with this work titled, To a Mouse. And in that, he says a statement that's very very uh, true to us today. He says, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Isn't that the truth? You ever find yourself in a place where it just seems like all the plans, all the hopes, all the dreams are shattered and everything is just at the end, you know? And you wonder, where's God in the midst of all this, right? You know, um, the children of Judah at the time, as, as Joel is a prophet, Joel uh, ministers to the children of Judah at a time when an invading army was coming in and was going to destroy the country. And Joel comes in, and so his words he gives from, from God are not words of, of peace and prosperity, but they're, they're, they're words of woe and of, of, of fighting and of death that's going to come. And Joel uses the, the, the figures of speech. He compares this invading army that's coming into Judah as an invading army of locusts. All right, now we know the locusts, you know, uh, it's, an, it's an incredible thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a, to think of locusts coming. Now, here in the United States, we don't really deal much with locusts. But listen to this verse in, in, in Joel chapter 1, verse 4. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. In other words, everything's gone, <laughs> Have you ever been to a place where everything seems to just be gone? It seems like the locusts have destroyed everything. They've eaten everything that could possibly be eaten. And what was left was destroyed anyway. And you find yourself in a place where you don't know where the next step is or where the next ounce of strength is going to come from, you know? Locusts have played a great part in human history. In the book of Exodus, one of the plagues sent on the children of Egypt was a plague of? Locust, that's right. So, um, you know, uh, and and they devoured everything. And it didn't matter, you know, where you were in Egypt, man, there were locusts in everything. They got into everything. In in 1874, in the United States, it was called the Year of the Locust. And in the Midwest and in the west of the United States where the farms were and the ranches were, the the locust invasion was so bad. Let me read from history.net. It says this. On a late July morning in 1874, a 12-year-old farm girl, Lily Marks, watched the sunlight dim and a peculiar darkness sweep over the Kansas sky. A whirring, rasping sound followed, and there appeared, as she later recalled, a moving gray-green screen between the earth and sun, then something dropped from the cloud like hail, hitting her family's house, trees, and picket fence. What fell wasn't hail, it wasn't rain, it was locusts. And they descended, and there's a picture of a, from a magazine here, uh, of, of a, a, a drawing that an artist made uh, in 1874 describing what, what took place. The locusts covered everything. They covered entire farms. Entire counties were covered. Entire states were covered with locusts. The locusts ate everything that was green out in the fields, all the vegetation. And Not only the plants did it eat, but it also if there were sheep out in the field, it ate the, the, the wool off of the sheep's backs. And so it, it stripped the sheep of their fur if you had wooden uh, uh, handles outside on your tools, it ate the wooden tools, it ate the wagons, it ate everything. The one farmer said, the locusts have eaten everything but the mortgage. That's the only thing they left, all right? And so it was a terrible time of locust invasion in the United States. Um, even today, locusts are a worthy foe for agriculture. In, in Africa, in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, in the nations of Kenya and Uganda, There are huge locust swarms that are happening right now in Africa. In fact, in 2020, there was a locust swarm that was so large in Africa, it covered 930 square miles. One locust swarm, 930 square miles. For you to understand this, the entirety of Luzerne County, which is larger than Lackawanna County, the entirety of Luzerne County covers 906 square miles. The locust swarm in Africa was larger than all of Luzerne County. Maybe add Scranton to it as well. And uh, that's how large that locust swarm was uh, in Africa last year. Also in our yards, just so you know, um, the 17-year locusts are supposed to be coming out of the ground any day now. Now, they're not not—they're not destructive locusts, um, but for those of you who like to listen to the sounds at night, the locusts will be loud. I'm actually looking forward to that because I, I love the sound of those insects at night and that kind of thing. Uh, But they should be loud, and who knows? Uh, Also, they're very good to eat for anybody who's interested. And, uh, you know, we do have a a church uh, picnic coming up. And um, I was just thinking, you know, you you could probably make some neat side dishes with that. Uh, You know, uh, 90% protein or so. So uh, anyhow, uh, but so locusts are, are all around us, okay? They happen. And, and listen, in our lives stuff happens against us there are always armies invading in our lives there's always something coming up against us there's always there's always trouble you know and it happens all the time in our lives and and I've seen so many Christians that have just like even just the stuff that 's happened over the past two years in our nation uh, so many Christians have become angry have become hopeless in their own lives i have seen people that are so full of fear and trepidation it's beyond it's just beyond comprehension that as a child of god that i should live in fear of anything including even a deadly disease why should i live in fear of that Now i'm going to be sensible i'm going to take precautions i'm going to do those things but i don't have to live in fear I mean, you live in fear you're not really living you know and and being angry about politics and angry about everything else, it's just amazing how many Christians are 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 finding that this army of invading locusts has stripped the things out of their spiritual lives. And I wonder, you know, is there a solution for this? And yes, there is. We have to come to the place where we get to the end of our rope and we realize that, listen, the help has got to come from beyond us. There's someone bigger than us. We've got to be able to look to something bigger than us for the help that we need in our lives. Listen, um, you know, uh, uh, what was one of maybe, you know, perhaps the most difficult times in my life? How many of you know pastors' lives are perfect and everything goes great for them all the time, right? You know, there have been moments in my life where I felt like it was at the end, at the end of my rope. And at one such time, I found myself to really just be in a place where I found that I had nothing to give. I had nothing left i felt hopeless i felt helpless i felt like i was not sufficient i felt like i was not enough has anybody ever felt that way you know and uh in that time i went to god and i prayed and i expected the lord to you know to encourage me and you know what his response to me was he said you know what dave you're right you're not enough you're not enough that's the reality I mean, sometimes you are not enough. But then he went on and he said, but I am enough. I am more than enough. See, there is something, be honest, because I don't care how good you think you are, I don't know how powerful you think you are, there's going to come a time when that is going to be shaken. And our world is going through a time of shaking right now. Like never before, there is shaking happening physically in this globe that we're standing you know, on um, but there is shaking taking place in people's lives, and your lives, let me, let, me, let me just tell you this, even as things begin to open up in our nation again, I want you to get this, your life is going to continue to be shaken, in fact, maybe more so. And shaken is good, because shaken takes the focus off what you can do to what God can do. And we need to be able to focus on this. And we need to be able to understand that our help is not from ourselves. Our help comes from something beyond us, someone beyond us, more powerful than we are. Um, The serenity prayer that the 12 steps use is a great prayer, right? You know, God grant me the serenity to, um, what does it say, to uh, accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, right? And how many times do we spend so much of our energy, our, our intellect, our time, our our money, our mental, uh, you know, uh, ability focused on things that we cannot change. One of the things we do in coaching is we use what's called the control box. And in this control box, it represents a person's life. And in this person's life, there's, you know, this, it's all the things that happen in our life. Now, this box actually might be a little large because the control box for most people is really just a small portion of your life that you can actually control. I mean, think about it. What do you really control? Some of you can't even control yourselves, you know? What can you really control? So there's very little in life that we can control, but what you can control, you can control. And then there are things that you have control and influence over. Maybe there are things that you have influence over things, and so that's bigger than what you can control, but you, st- you can't control only what you influence, but thank God there are still some more things that you have influence over as, as well. But the vast majority of our lives is outside in the no-control and no-influence part of our box. And so the reality is, listen, as we focus on those things that we cannot control and we try to control them, we're going to find ourselves frustrated. Because sometimes things are beyond your ability and beyond your power. All right, And so what do we do? You You know, God is more than willing to to equip us and to help us, but how do we do this? It's the first key that we have. I'm going to give you three keys today, and then what I'm going to ask you to do is to sort of mull on those through this week and then come next Sunday expecting to receive something from God. Can you do that for me? Are you willing to do that? So number one is the first key is to believe. We need to believe that uh, we have to realize that our need is beyond and ask the one who is greater for help. God is more than willing to fill, enable, and equip us as we help him. Now, in the prophet Joel, he, in, in chapter 1, it's, it's depressing. and chapter 2, it's depressing. And then halfway through chapter 2, Joel's uh, his tenor changes from something of destruction to something of power. And I want you to get this. Listen, no matter where you're at in your life, no matter what's going on in your life, God has an opportunity. If you give him the opportunity, sometimes God can pivot you. And you could be in a direction that's heading towards nothingness or towards destruction. And when you allow God to pivot you, he pivots you from that way of going for death and destruction. And he pivots you into life. And Peter quotes these verses from Joel chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when he stands before the crowd of people in Jerusalem that hear what's going on. And why? Because all of a sudden Pentecost breaks out in Jerusalem. And Peter begins to talk about it. And he goes back to the book of Joel. They all knew the book of Joel. The book of Joel was a book that was depressing. It talked about how they were oppressed and destroyed by the Babylonians. But but Peter comes along and he says, hey, listen, this what you're seeing now. What happened was the people began to speak in tongues in the upper room. There were these flames on their heads. There was a wind blowing through the room. There was no wind outside. But there's wind in the room. I mean, God is moving And and things are happening supernaturally in this place. And Peter stands up and he says, this is what was, in verse 16 of chapter 2, he says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Isn't that marvelous? You know, listen, in in the last days, God is looking to pour himself out on all people. All right? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. There's a power that God has. He wants to unleash on this world. If we would just believe, if we would just receive that power of God, if we would just realize that we have to ask beyond ourselves. I mean, come on. Hasn't the last couple of years shown us When we, when we try to do it all ourselves, it's just a, it's just a royal mess. It just really is. It goes beyond us, folks. You know, this is why Jesus tells his disciples, I mean, he's resurrected and I love it. I I hear some evangelical preachers and they're like, listen, when people saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it changed their lives. No, it didn't. No, it actually didn't. Because look at the disciples for those 40 days. They're still just as messed up as they were before he was resurrected. They're still discouraged. Jesus isn't around for a couple of days. Peter and, and, and Thomas and, and James and John are looking at each other, and they're like, I don't know what we're going to do. And Peter gets this bright idea, hey, let's go fishing. And they're all like, yeah, we're going to go. Because there's still a mess. And that's why Jesus tells them on the 40th day before he goes up into heaven, he says to them, hey, I want you guys to go and wait in Jerusalem. Go back to Jerusalem and wait there. Because when you wait there, God is going to send you his power from on high. And then, oh, and by the way, when his power comes on you, you're not going to be able to help but be a witness for me. Because people are going to be able to look at your life and they're going to say, what happened to you? How are how you living in victory in a time when everybody's in a time of defeat? How is it that you're living in a time of plenty when everybody's in want? How is it that you... Have a good attitude when everybody's in despair. How is it that you have a sweetness around you when everybody's angry? How is it that God is able to do something in you? Well, because I've just received what God has for me. Mark tells us we'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. I mean, think about that. I'm not against you coming to me and asking me to pray for somebody, but why don't you pray for him? I mean, do you think I have a special tie with God? The same spirit that, that lives in me lives in you, right? And so you should be able to lay hands on the sick and see the recover. And it, Mark's, Mark goes on and he talks about this. He says that you, know, that you can even drink something deadly and it won't harm you. Well, let me tell you something. I mean, how many Christians needed to hear that? I mean, you know, we were so afraid to breathe in something. You could drink poison and it won't kill you. I'm not recommending that. I mean, you know, I'm not looking for you to do that, but, but the reality is this. Listen, uh, Mark, when he says that, he says they'll drink poison and it won't kill them. They will, take, uh, they will tread upon serpents. And so the reality is, listen, when you walk in the power of God, man cannot harm you, and even the devil himself cannot harm you. And so you have nothing to be fearful for, nothing at all. Why? Because, it, listen, if people try to kill you, it doesn't matter. If they kill you, if you actually do die, then you're going to go to be with Jesus. If they it, and, and chances are they're not going to be able to kill you. I mean, most of us don't get killed by people anyway, you know. But the enemy comes against us, but the enemy has no power and authority over us anyway. So we have nothing to be afraid of in this life, you know. That's why when Philip, Philip goes to Samaria and he preaches a revival there. Um, And people get saved. And then Peter and John come down from Jerusalem to Samaria. In Acts chapter 8, you can read it. And they come along and they lay hands on the believers in Samaria. And every one of those believers began to speak in tongues. And the the, the Spirit of God was poured out upon them. In Acts chapter 10, Peter's up on top of a roof. And uh, Cornelius, who's who's a Gentile, he's a godly guy. He sends for Peter to come and preach to him. Peter goes with uh, those guys to Cornelius' house begins to preach to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles receive Christ as Savior, and they begin to speak in tongues. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit came into their life. In Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to a Baptist church in Ephesus where there's 12 guys attending, and he says to them as he preaches, hey, have you guys received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they're like, we don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. And Paul lays hands on all 12 of those men, all 12 of those men, begin to speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit is poured out in that Baptist church. They're totally pivoted and changed for the power of God. Listen, this is what God has for us. The Holy Spirit is available. The power of God is available to help you to walk in victory. The second key we have is that we have to open our mouths. Now, for some of us, I don't. you don't need any encouragement, okay, because some of you just can't close it. But I'm talking about opening your mouth in praise. All right, we, get to, we, get to, we need to open our mouths in praise. All right? um, our lives need to be led by praise. Praise must go before action. Praise comes before the victory. Praise must be our response when it seems we're overwhelmed, outnumbered, and outgunned, and we're bested. Praise is the response. So when things go wrong in your life, what you need to do is step up your praise. When things aren't happening right in your life, what you need to do is step up your praise. It isn't air your concerns. It isn't go on Facebook and tell how bad your life is. It means to step up your praise when things go wrong. This is the key that we have, you know? The victory belongs to the Lord, but he allows us to experience it. We're part of his victory celebration, and he wants to celebrate his victory through you. And if you don't allow him to, he'll still be your God, but your life will just be miserable. In, in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20... Um, When Jehoshaphat was faced with the greater enemy, greater in number, greater in weapons, greater in power, he turns to the Lord. And the Lord's instruction was for him to go against the enemy the following day and use these special tactics and use his mercenaries and use his snipers and use these mighty warriors. No, he tells him to go forward and to lead the battle with praise. Verse 21 says, After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. As they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Because their voices were so terrible, when they sang, No, it doesn't say that. It wasn't because you know, their, their sound was so terrible, people ran. No, they began to praise the Lord, and the Lord came and fought the battle. <laughs> I mean, this is, the, this is the concept of God in our lives. You can fight the battle yourself, or you can praise God and let him fight the battle for you. That's the reality of it. I mean, who possibly wins a battle with praise? I mean, come on, what kind of tactic is that? They don't teach that at West Point. They don't teach that at the Air Force Academy, but it is, it is, it's God's tactic. That's why we sing that song, and so many of us love it. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles, by kicking my brother. This is how I fight my battles, by gossiping. This is, no. This is how I fight my, by, by praising God. Our battles are won as we praise him. David sees this in 2 Samuel chapter 5. It says, once more the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord and he answered, "Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees I mean isn't that isn't that weird like i I think it's actually in our area to be aspen trees go attack them in front of the aspen trees I mean, what kind of what kind of what kind of strategy is that? Make sure you're by the aspen trees when you knock them down I mean that doesn't make any sense, but aspen trees. When a little breeze blows, their leaves begin to quake. And there's like a presence that's there. Last summer, Laura and I, we were, we were tracking the elk herd in, in central Pennsylvania there. We went up uh, to, uh, uh, in Elk County, and we're in this, on this mountain, and we got out of the car. We went over, and it sounded like there was a, a waterfall there. And we went over to the, like, we're looking at the you know down into this valley. There's no waterfall. It's the aspen trees above us. the The wind is blowing here. it's so loud, and that's what that's what David is instructed to do. What does it say? Verse twenty four. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. I mean, listen, folks. Listen to my Pentecostal brothers and sisters. You need to start listening for the moving of God in the tops of the trees around you. You've got to start listening. You know, take the headphones off. You know, get away from your screen. Get away from, you know, the people that you're arguing with and, and find a place where you can listen to the moving of God around you because he's moving powerfully. And if you hear his voice and you hear him moving and you move, you can move in victory along with him. The Spirit of God is moving. This is, why, this, is why, this is why some of you, you have like a doctorate in spending money at Hobby Lobby. Because you go into that place, you go into that place, and there is praise music flowing. And you're like, "Put that would look nice in my house. Yeah. Or this will look nice in someone else's house. You just want to spend money there because there's this praise. That's why Chick-fil-A is so good. Well, not anymore, because you gotta go through the drive-thru. But I mean, it used to be, used to go in, you know, used to actually go into restaurants. Remember those days? When you would actually sit in a restaurant? Or at least a fast food place. And, um, cause they can't get enough workers now, I guess. 1500 bucks if you sign on at Chick-fil-A. Almost makes me want to get a second job. <laughs> with all my extra time. <laughs> and, um, you know? But you go in there, and it's like the food just tastes better when there's praise music playing. You know? It makes you buy more. Yeah, I mean it's unsaved people. They're like, I don't know why, like I don't, I don't know, I don't know God, but I don't know why I love going to Hobby Lobby so much. It's because of the atmosphere, you know. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's what it is. And so, listen, we fill our lives with praise. Things change. We pivot. Thirdly, the third key. I got to finish up here. The third key is to receive. See, our faith. Listen, this is this this is the fly in the ointment for. For most of us as believers, all right, is this reception thing? What does it look like? How do we actually do this and again, somebody asked me in the early service, and i sometimes I think things I think everybody understands things that maybe you really don't when i 'm talking about praying in the spirit i 'm talking about praying in tongues it's your prayer language it 's what you do it's not a message in church so i 've never in my life given a message in church in tongues, but I pray in tongues all the time and so you know, um, when you do this, there's something that God releases in you. So I remember that day in April of 1974 when I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, when I spoke in tongues for the first time. And, and, and when, you're, you know, when you're early at it, you don't totally understand it. And I was sort of almost ashamed of that, that it happened to me. But you know, you know what I'm saying? But then you learn how to use it like any other tool God gives us. Not that the Holy Spirit is a tool, but he allows himself to be a tool in our lives. All right, he allows himself to be life in us. And so um, how do we sort of walk into this? And we talk about receiving. Like Jude tells us in verse 20, he says, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So Jude, in this very short book, he gives us a really incredible concept. He said, listen, your responsibility is to build up your faith. I mean, we always think God's the one who gives us our faith. Well, initially, yes. But then once you get it, it's yours to build up. You know? And so, how do we do this? I mean, how does, what does this look like? He says building ourselves up and praying in the Holy Spirit. So, we build our, so part of how we build up our faith is by praying in the Spirit. And you might say, well, I don't need to pray in the Spirit, uh, Pastor Dave. I, I don't even believe in that stuff. Well, that's fine. You can continue to live the life you're living. That's totally fine. I'm talking to people who actually want to experience God's power in their life. So if you want to experience God's power, you you, you need to pray in the Spirit. So there are things that you need to stop praying for or speaking out against and instead use that time to pray in the Spirit. When you pray in the Spirit, God actually moves you. In a stronger way, and you might say, "Well, I don't know if I believe that, Pastor David." Let me try to convince you of this. In Hebrews eleven uh, verse one, it says, "Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen." We all know that verse, right? And well, at least some of us know that verse. And so, faith is is believing in something you can't see. Basically, that's we all understand that to be that's what faith is. So, but to build yourself up on your most holy faith. Is to exercise yourself into what God has for you. So there's faith that we have. We all, I, I would think, probably everyone in this room has faith in Christ. We all have faith in Christ. It's why you're here on Sunday morning, okay? And so that faith is here. It's it's faith in Christ. We all have it. But but there's a way of exercising that faith. And as you exercise that faith, it grows. All right? And it, it's not just for Pentecostals, it, this is for all God's people, because they have faith, and as they exercise that faith, their faith begins to grow in their life. All right? Okay, so um, it's one thing to exercise faith and another thing altogether to build yourself up. All right? So it's sort of like back in the '80s there was those guys that Awn oh, he would like, I'll show you how to pump yourself up. You want to pump yourself up. You remember those days? Remember those guys? They pump yourself. up. We, we did a skit one time, and, and Sam Kimmel and I, think, we did it. and We shoved balloons up our arms and everything. We came out like big muscle people, and, and, and then I popped one of Sam's balloons. It was, so, it was funny. Anyway, um, uh, there's this idea of pumping your faith up, okay? And so um, it's one thing to experience faith, another thing to build yourself up. And so Jude tells us to build up ourselves by praying in the Spirit. We want that increased Measure of faith in our lives. So are you content with the measure of faith that you have? Or do you want to have a greater measure of faith? The greater measure of faith has to be uh, produced in us. And that's produced in us a number of ways. Um, uh, By studying the word, by listening to the preaching, uh, by personal study of the word, by walking in integrity and patience, and then thirdly, also by praying in the spirit. And so when we find ourselves in an area where we feel like we are insufficient, we turn to God. And my brother and my sister, listen, today, let me tell you, the greatest way to find that pivot from that place of imperfection into God's provision is by praying in the Spirit. When we pray in the Spirit, things change. It changes the atmosphere. It changes the tenor of the day. It changes the direction of our life. It changes the happenings around us. And even if it doesn't totally solve what's going on in your life, it gives you a different attitude about it. And that, my friend, might be the greatest miracle that God ever does in our lives, is changing our attitudes, right? And so God is able to do that as we pray in the Spirit, as we believe and receive what God has for us, those things are done. Listen to this in Romans chapter 8. I know I'm a couple minutes over here, but how many of you know... You got to get this this is this is the this is your take home here on this. In Romans chapter 8 and I've talked about this before. These verses I love Romans 8:28. Everybody quotes that. There's a TV show they use Romans 8:28 all the time. They have nothing to do with God and and Christians use this verse like a, a fortune cookie. And it's it's wonderful. It's a wonderful verse to pull out as a fortune cookie and there's some truth to that. But listen to what it says in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's what we've been talking about. What is it when you feel weak? What is it when you feel like you're overcome? It's your weakness there. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. This is when you begin to speak out and pray in the Spirit. You don't know what you're saying. It's the Holy Spirit speaking and praying through you, and He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God, then you can do verse 28. See, if you've, if you've, if you've allowed the Holy Spirit to move through your life, then you can really apply verse... Now, yes, you can apply verse 28 if you're not a Pentecostal, of course. Yes, you can. But as a Pentecostal, that verse should have so much punch in your life. It should have so much power in your life. When you let the Holy Spirit speak through you, pray through you, then all of a sudden, verse 28, then you can say with assurity, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. That's how we can apply that. Boom, there it is. Can you apply that verse without being a Pentecostal? Yes. But as a Pentecostal man, that verse should have traction in your life. It should have power in your life. Right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul talks about this. He says, as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Sometimes we don't see the future that's in front of us because we're not looking in the Spirit. We're looking at our natural power and ability and we feel like we're helpless. And The reason why we're helpless is because the Spirit of God has something great for you. Are you willing to walk into him? Are you willing to walk with him? Are you willing to walk through the things of life with him by your side? He'll be there, and he'll give you victory over those things. So my question for you is the same question that Paul asked the Ephesian believers. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? I want you to stew on that through this week. Maybe you say, yeah, I did, Pastor Dave. Well, when was the last time you operated in it? When was the last time you did what Romans 8 talks about and allowed the Holy Spirit to pray through you? I'm not talking about in a church service. I'm not. I, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about in your time of prayer. When was the last time Romans eight happened in you? Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? Have you received the Holy Spirit since May started? That'd be a better question, maybe. You know. And so next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. I'm believing. The, I'm believing the Holy Spirit's going to pour Himself out. Anybody else believe that with me? Amen. So believe, open your mouth, receive. May the Lord allow us to experience that in our lives. Amen? Stand with me. Raise your hands up. As we come before Jesus, as we leave this place, Lord, bless your people. Lord, help us all to walk. Lord, I pray that in these brothers and sisters, that, Lord, they would walk in an ever-increasing faith. Your call upon us is to do exceedingly abundantly above that which we'd e- we could even imagine or ask. So, Lord, I pray for an increased measure of faith in my brothers and sisters. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would, uh, that, that as, they begin to, uh, as they begin to pray in the Spirit, that, Holy Spirit, you would come and build them up. Build up their faith as they pray in the Spirit. Build them up in ways uh, that would honor the Master. Build them up and allow them to experience victory over the circumstances and the situations that are against them. In Jesus' name, accomplish this. Let there be a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit and your power and your presence in our midst and in our lives. Because, Lord, the world needs to have Christians who are truly following you and serving you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, we want to be those people. Fill your people now as you send them forth from this place. Lord, I pray that, Lord, even through this week, that, Lord, as people are in their car, as they're in their house by themselves, as they're just in, in, in their time of prayer, that all of a sudden the Spirit of God, the power of God would fall upon them and fill them with something that goes beyond what they themselves are in themselves and of themselves and give them something supernatural in their lives. We pray these things knowing that you're more than willing and more than able to do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord, bless you folks. Have an awesome, awesome week.